So Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says this, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward, to what is ahead, I pursue as a goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. If you wonder why we keep reading those verses every week, it's because we want you to memorize them. Have you done that? Come on, you should know by now, right? It's been eight weeks. No, but we do. We want them to get in your heart the reality that we are in process and God is working in our lives for his good purpose. And so that's why we're reading those every week. But before I dive into my message, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time, God. I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you work in and through us, Lord, when we say yes to you. And I just pray that as I speak today, Lord, that you would continue to just speak through me, God, right into the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, would you meet them where they're at in their journey, and would you just encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of you may not know this because this is our 5 o'clock service and some of you are newer to the well, but I've shared a few times over the last few years in ministry just a little bit about my backstory, especially if you've been at one of our women's events. You may have heard a little bit more of my story. But the reality is that my story was a little painful starting out. How many of you had a painful start in life, right? And so I have kind of been in well, I thought in a great place with my healing journey when it came to my past. And so by the time I was five, unfortunately, I had been victimized um, twice by two different people. And so I was always thinking through life. I've always prided myself in realizing that I'm not a victim, that God has purpose and destiny for me, and he loves me, and I love him. And I just he just captured my heart at such a young age that I haven't really had to contend with that victim identity. However, growing up, and even now, I still struggle very much with the issue of anger. And that has kind of been, unfortunately, what I always thought is like the thorn in my side, the like sin that I would always struggle with. And why, why am I saying anger is a sin? Because when we act in anger in a wrong way and we sin out of anger, that's when it's wrong. Okay? I'm not saying all anger is wrong. I'm saying that's when sin comes into it. But I've always struggled with this and felt like, well, this is just my thing I'm going to have to struggle with for life. And I would pray and pray like, God, come on, give me some patience. And he would test me and I would fail like every time. He's like, I'm trying. You're just not picking up on the cues here, you know. And so I would ask and pray, God, please just heal my heart and help me not to be angry. And uh, someone this morning was like, I would never guess that. I'm really, really not angry all the time, guys. Like, it doesn't just come out. For the most part, I'm a happy person, but when you poke me a little in the wrong place, I might get angry, right? <laughs> Especially if you're under nine and living in my house. <laughs> then we have struggles. But 
So I'm sitting here at a conference feeling pretty good about where I was at in my journey. I mean, I'm not thinking about it. I'm past all that. Like, that's years ago, 30-something years ago. That's my past. And I'm feeling very good about my life, right? And feeling like I've got things to work on, but nothing's too, like, glaring. I'm working on the things, right? And so I'm sitting here going, I'm doing good, Well, then I'm listening to this speaker, and I'm kind of engaged in what he's saying, and he's talking about Moses and how Moses had an issue with anger. And I said, I know that. I know that life. And, you know, if you could go back to the story of Moses, he would strike a rock out of anger, and God God got mad at him, and it it wasn't good. Like, he held up a few things because of his anger issues, right, that God had for them. And so I was like, okay, yeah, talking about anger, and suddenly the Holy Spirit's just, like, tackling my spirit. I'm like... What is happening? What's going on right now? Because in that moment, the speaker had said, he said, anger is a secondary response to a silent pain. And I was like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? No, it's just my issue. It's just my thorn. Like Paul, he has a thorn in his side. That's me as anger. And I was just sitting sitting there listening, and I was just crying, like thinking, don't look over here, Jason. Like, I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm crying. And in that moment, it was like the healing process that I thought I had finished was not complete. And so I just was like, okay, I guess we're opening this again. And here I had thought, like, I'm doing good. I'm feeling so good about life. Has anybody ever had those moments where God, like, kind of, you're feeling good. And you're feeling like, I got through that. And suddenly something peels away and scrapes that scar. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? Right? And so here I am sitting in the middle of the room full of pastors thinking, like, one, I don't belong here because I'm not fixed, which is a lie. Okay? That's not truth. Um, we don't have to be perfect to be ministering to people. We don't have to be perfect to love people. We won't be perfect ever. So if you wait for that, it's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> you know, you're not going to do anything. So don't wait for that. But the reality was I realized then and there my healing wasn't complete. Like that God had given me this nice little 30-year reprieve from dealing with it, and now he was like, you're ready to deal with something else. I'm still working on it. I still don't know what that healing process completely looks like, but I can tell you recognizing it first and foremost is the first step of healing, right? And so in, in the next few minutes, I want to share this idea of of healing and what the process of healing looks like and that to hopefully give you a little bit of freedom in your process and being okay with the fact that you're still in process in those things that you feel like, I should be good with this. I shouldn't keep going back to this. Now, I'd say there are moments where somebody is going to call you out and should call you out and say, stop it. Don't go back there, okay? But as long as you're moving forward, engaging God and his promise and his process over your life, then that's a good thing, right? So, I want to speak to you today from the idea that we are healed, not whole. So just as Paul describes in Philippians, he talks about the good work, that God is doing a good work in us. That's our healing process. Because the reality is as soon as we say yes to Jesus, we start a road to healing. Because we just had a whole past without Jesus. And most of it was broken. Most of it was dysfunctional. Most of it was hopeless. And now he's coming in and he's rescuing us on the scene and he's saying, I'm going to take you up. And he's saying, we're going to go through a process, a healing process. 
And I think we see this idea. Some of us go, well, what about, what about the fact that God, like, is every process of, he, is every healing experience a process? And we might ask that question. And I would say, let's look really quickly at those moments in the Bible where God, Jesus heals somebody. Let's look at the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. She has the issue of blood for 12 years. As a Jewish woman in that culture, when you would go through your cycle as a woman, you would be considered unclean. You would be removed from your community until you were clean. And then you could come back into community. So if you look at this woman who has now had this issue of blood for 12 years, she's been cast out, set aside, forgotten for 12 years. She's been spoken over for 12 years that she is unclean, that she's not worthy. She can't have a place within the community. So, yes, we see Jesus instantaneously heal this woman because of her faith. Instantaneously, she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment, and he heals her. But if we think that she didn't then have to go through a process of being healed, even Jesus tells her, go and be healed. Even Jesus says, go and be. Be is active. B is taking steps. B is moving forward. So even Jesus says, you must go and be healed. So this woman here, instantaneously healed of her issue with blood. But she's going to have a process of accepting healing in her life. She's going to have a process of peeling away the lies that have been spoken over her for 12 years. And so that's exactly what I went through is this process of thinking, I'm pretty good. This woman instantly healed of a problem, a physical problem, but still going to have to go through a process of layering away that identity that has been placed over her for years. We see it too with the blind man. You think about a blind man, a beggar on the side of the street. He's going to go through a process of healing after being in that lifestyle for so long. And I think most of us have been in lifestyles and spaces and places where the lies of the enemy have been, you're not good enough, you're never going to make it, you're, you're in poverty, whatever it's been. And many of us, even though we're free and we're healed, are still sitting in our last identity. We're still sitting in that broken place, even though God gave us the freedom to walk right out of that place. hundred years ago, in this country, women could not vote. 150 years ago then, they sat under oppression. They sat underneath. They didn't get experiences. They weren't working. They weren't engaging all that God had for them as women. And if at 100 years, they chose, cool, I'm free, I can vote, but they chose to stay back there, then they've missed it. And they still had to retrain. And I think women even today are still retraining our minds because the enemy has always had us underfoot He's still retraining our minds to say, that's not your identity. You're equal. You're loved. You're accepted. Now, am I saying we should go run around tromping over men? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that oppressed people, whatever group it is, and our country has had many, if they don't then activate after having freedom given to them, if they don't then activate the promise of healing and walk it out, they will stay in that impoverished mentality. And so we have to be okay with the idea that healing is a process, and it's one that we have to participate in. We can't just say, oh, good, uh, good, I'm done. I don't have to work on anything, because God will reveal that you do, right? <laughs> we're not done. We're not finished, and we're not whole. 
So ultimately and unfortunately, healing is a process. However, thank God, nothing's wasted with him, right? He uses every part of our lives, every moment to teach us. When we are seeking him out, he teaches us in every single moment. So over the last few days, I spent some time reading medical journals. I don't recommend it. They are one hard to understand, and I use the dictionary a lot, let's just say. But I did learn a few things, and the first thing is this, that the and this is not my points, so you don't have to write this down, but you can if you'd like. The body is incredibly developed and can do a lot of healing on its own. God made us that way for ourselves to heal, right? Our physical body is made to heal itself, which is pretty miraculous in and of itself. The second thing is this. We have to help it heal by participating in the process and doing what our body needs. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And then the third thing is that it takes time for our body to heal. So I learned this thing that I thought was really, I was surprised by, and that is that when you have a wound, you get a cut, or your body's broken, your bones are broken, it can take up to two years to completely mend that wound. It could be as small as like a splinter. It could be, it takes up to two years for your body to fully recover from that trauma. And I thought, that sounds about right <laughs> in our lives, right? Only in our souls and in our emotions, it's often our entire life that we're still healing from the trauma, right? So in the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about what we need to repair and to heal with God. You guys ready? All right. The first point is this. Healing requires the right nutrients, so it's well known in the medical community that if you want to heal faster, you got to eat the right food. I'm sorry, donuts are not on the agenda, unfortunately. They want you to eat a lot of protein, a lot of foods with vitamins A, C, and D in them, and other, you know, lists and lists of things that are really good for you that I ignored. I'm just saying. <laughs> but the reality is that we don't like that idea, right? We don't like the idea of having to eat healthy. We want to eat what we want to eat, and we want to expect ourselves to be looking and feeling good later. doesn't really work like that, right? I keep trying to eat what I want to eat and expect six-pack abs because I work out, and it's not working. Something's not translating. I don't know what's going on, but it's not working. So the reality is that in order to heal, we have to have a healthy nutrients. And in the same way, we have to do that with God. We have to allow ourselves to be fed with the right words. So when you look at the people around you that are in the middle of your healing process, what are they speaking to you? Are they bashing your husband when you're bashing your husband? Are they, are they saying, yeah, that should have never happened to you. I can't believe they did that. There's a difference between empathizing and bashing, right? There's a difference between praying for someone and gossiping, right? Like, the reality is who's in your world and who's speaking to you. And ultimately, the one and only that we should be getting truth from is God. Yes, people are used for that truth, but if it's not godly truth, it's not going to help your road to recovery. So, here's some verses that remind us of the goodness of words in our lives and our healing process. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your hear, ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. 
God is speaking here to an idea that it's not just that words are good for your soul. It's good for your physical body. And so many, I would think about, I had a great grandma who was full of bitterness. I mean, this, you didn't want to be around this woman. She had nothing good to say. And you could see it all over her physical body. And that's the reality. If we're not putting in the right words, we're not putting in truth, and we're not putting in positive affirmation, and we're not thinking good thoughts, and we're just allowing poison to shape and form our situation, then it starts to play out not just in your what's coming out of your mouth, but in your actual physical body. Proverbs 12:18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword th- thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 17, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Acts 27, 34, this is Paul speaking to some guys and he's saying, hey, we're in the midst of this storm. They're freaking out. They're anxious. They've been on a ship for two weeks and it's just been storm ridden. And so they're not eating. And he says, therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And that's the promise of God over their lives in that moment. So I just ask you to think about what words you're allowing into your healing journey. Are you allowing truth of God's word in your healing? Are you allowing people to poison and slow down your journey? Or are you allowing God to speed it up through his words and his truth and his grace over your situation? The second one is this. Healing requires refreshment. So um, just about two years ago, our daughter is going to be two in August, Jason went on another trip retreat. (laughs) And he was in South Carolina and um, at a pastor's event, and they were um, decided they should go work out together, Um, and they CrossFit. And so it had been two years, or two, two months, sorry, since Jason had last CrossFitted. And so, of course, being around a group of guys, I don't know what it is, but some competitive spirit comes out of you. And I actually do know what it is because I'm the same way and it doesn't matter who's in the room. Like, I'm competing with you even if you don't know it. Like, it's reality. So anyway, he, he tells me, I, I asked him, I said, so you were going harder because of all those guys in the room, huh? Because the first thing he tells me is like, I was like number one. <laughs> Meanwhile, we find out after doing 100 butterfly pull-ups that he had got rhabdo which means that he had broken down his muscle so much so it had had so many tiny tears in it that the protein and creatine, or protein, I don't know what the other words are. I won't use them because I don't know. But protein was coming out of his system and it couldn't flush through his system because it was the wrong kind of protein. It wasn't meant to, one, be in that much excess coming out of his system. And so, two, it would just shut it down completely. And so what's the healing process for this? Well, unfortunately, his included a hospital for five days after we had a five-day-old baby. So that was good. And so (laughs) he went to the hospital for five days, and the first three days, they didn't say anything to us. They just kept giving him fluids. Nothing. They're just telling us, oh, his levels are really high, and that's it. We're like, what does that even mean? They asked Jason if he had had a binger the night before and gotten <laughs> wasted because his fluids were so high that they thought for sure he must have done something ridiculous. And he's like, I just worked out. 
Well, anyway, so he's in there for five days, and what they do the entire time was just flush him with fluids, just flush out the toxins and the protein that wouldn't have got out any other way besides that. And so in order for his body to heal, and thank God he, he obviously did heal, he's not on dialysis, he should have been, and he should have been dead. And that's honestly why they didn't say anything. After like day five when they're releasing him, they're like, just so you know, the reason why we were not saying anything is we didn't know if you were going to make it. I'm like, why would you not say anything about that? Like, we should get our stuff in order. I don't know. Like, you know, or get the prayer warriors out. Like, we had been playing it down so much that we were like, oh, it's, it's going to be fine. You know, we were like, oh, he's in the hospital. He should be fine. Meanwhile, they're like, oh, we don't know. He might die. And I'm like, thanks. I'm fine. I have a five-day-old at home. Anyway, so, but the point of that is to say that the things that cleaned out the toxins and ultimately led to healing and restoration was that, that fluid. That just as our body needs to drink, we, go, we, we can die after three days of not drinking water. We need living water. So let's look at this story out of John 4. And this is the story of the Samaritan woman who comes to um, draw water out of the well. So I'm going to start in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Chapter, uh, verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. 11 says, Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons and his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And this is what part I love and I want you to hear. Because this next part shows us the desperation of the woman and the hole and the dryness that she had felt inside of her. It says, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. And he says, Go call your husband and come back here. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you've correctly said, I don't have a husband, for in fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband, so you're right. So Jesus already knows. <laughs> Jesus knows this woman's condition, and her condition is that she has a gaping hole inside of her that is dried up and dried out, and she is looking for fulfillment through all the wrong places. And he says, you're going to be thirsty over and over and over again because you're going to the wrong source. This is not living water. This will only be temporal. This will not last. Those men you're with clearly aren't working for you. You need living water. You need me. I will refresh your soul forever. And that's his promise, that as we seek him and we lean into him and we say, okay, God, you're our living water. Jesus, you are our everything. And we soak in him, then we can find healing. I hope that we might all be like what Psalm 63.1 says one day. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And God is just asking us, in our healing process, would we come to him for fulfillment? 
See, so often when we're not feeling right, we go to a lot of other things to fill up. Right? We go to all the wrong places most often instead of just leaning into Jesus, leaning into his word, leaning into his promise that he is our living water, that we have hope for eternity, and that he might heal us in and through our process. The third point is this. Healing requires rest. Hey, who loves sleeping here? Yeah. I like sleep. Okay. I don't like going to sleep. Anybody else like that? Like, I like to be up and, like, I think something's going to happen right after I go to bed, so I don't want to miss it. It's probably on a show that I really want to, like, binge, you know? (laughs) Like, I don't like going to sleep because, one, it's probably because my kids are asleep and I, like, really like the quiet. Anybody else? Just me? Just me? Okay, good, good. (laughs) But I like that time and that, that quiet time, and I don't love going to sleep. But if you try to wake me up, Remember I said I had anger issues? That's about when they're going to come out. (laughs) So my kids, I am trying to train them. You do not wake me up in the morning unless you are dying. Like this is true, real life, what I say. I mean, Eliana, I I don't do that to her, just so you know. She's like less than two. But my big kids, they're nine and eight. They can handle some things on their own for like a half hour while I try to wake up. And so I, I like my sleep. But our bodies love our sleep even more. So I was reading, and there's a study that is about sleep and what it does to our bodies. So I'm going to read this to you. One study found that during sleep, individual neurons were able to perform maintenance work on the nucleus, the central element of each cell, which encloses most of that cell's genetic material. When the nucleus begins to deteriorate, deteriorate, I can't even talk anymore, I'm sorry. (laughs) The DNA information it contains also becomes damaged. And this can lead to aging, disease, and poor overall functioning in an organ or tissue. During sleep, the researchers explained the neurons have an opportunity to recover from the stress they've accumulated during that day and fix any damage they have sustained. In the same way that our bodies need that rest and that recovery, God is asking us, would you come to me? He says that in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jeremiah thirty one twenty five says, I will refresh and satisfy the faint. We have to rest in our healing process. And we're all about fixing things, right? And God's saying, I designed a way for you to be fixed, and you don't have to work. You need to rest. And we're like, wait, what do you mean not work? Like, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Well, your body. It does it naturally. He created it that way. And in that same way, he, he is our resting place. He is our safe place. He is where we get to hide when we don't want to fix the things that have happened that day. And that's what he's asking. Come to me that I might give you rest, living water, right nutrients, his word. And these things are going to lead to healing in our lives. So just as our body, our healing process with God is whole, is whole. And just as we need certain things for our body, we need certain things for our healing process when we're working through the trauma, the broken places of our life. And I believe this is over physical healing too. Like this isn't just about a mental, emotional, spiritual healing. This is about how we're talking over 
over our bodies? How are we speaking truth and faith into our lives? How are we engaging the promises of the Word of God in our lives where He says that He'll be our healer? How are we engaging those things? Do we really trust that God is a God of miracles? And I think that's the question is that we don't know how to see the God of miracles working when it's not like this. And so we don't think he's working. But when I look back at my life, I think, oh my goodness. Like, look at all, that was a miracle, that was a miracle. This, today, right now, this is a miracle, right? And I think he's just asking us to trust him in the process. And Charles Spurgeon has this great quote about why God puts us through process. So let's listen to this. It may not please God to lessen the burden, but it comes to the same thing if he strengthens the back. He may not recall the soldier from battle, but if he gives him a greater stomach for the fight and increased strength for its toils, it may be better still for him. He's saying that the process might be better. He's saying that what God gives us in our process might be much better. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear, give a man health in his countenance, and he laughs at that which would have crushed him had he been in another mood. There are times when the grasshopper becomes a burden, and there are other seasons when without, with undaunted spirit we can say, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. When we can look at our mountains and say, I got you. I can handle you. Everything depends upon the man's personal condition. For the diseased eye, beauty does not exist. For the disordered palate, sweetness is no longer to be found. And to a deaf ear, harmony is silent. Let's go ahead and stand. So what I want to ask you today is, what are you feeding yourself in the midst of your healing process? What are you drinking? Are you giving yourself rest? Are you giving God an opportunity to actually work in your life, to actually work in your process? And in everything we do when we're working through process, he simply says, come to me. I'm your answer. I'm the living water. I am all your nutrients. I am your resting and hiding place. I am your only answer. Some of us have been trying for years to do it ourselves. We've been seeking psychiatrists, and I'm not saying counseling is not a good thing. Some of us need that. But if you're still there and you haven't seen progress, I'm asking you, are you giving it to God first? Are you allowing him to work first and foremost to reshape and reform the identity that he freed you from previously? So I want to go ahead and just take a few minutes to pray. And if you are just in the midst of a healing process and you're saying, I need to refocus that process. I need to bring it back to God. And I need him to highlight the things he's done in my process. Would you just raise your hand right now as I pray over you? Well, God, you see people throughout this room, Lord, who are saying that they might be off on their process of healing, God. Or that things have been coming up that they don't know how to handle and they don't know how to work through. And they might have felt just like I did where I thought, I'm good. 